Welcome to 8020 with Pareto Health. I'm Andrew Cavanaugh. And I'm Andrew Clayton. On today's episode, our knowledge segment will focus on fully insured health insurance plans and the value or the lack of value that they provide. During our second segment, we will interview Austin Madison, partner and friend. Austin is SVP of benefits for Hub International out of Nashville. And our recurring segment, which we call You Know Their Knucklehead When, will conclude today's episode where we'll focus on insurance brokers and certain things that if you hear them say it, well, you know they're a knucklehead. Clayton, today's knowledge segment is about uh, fully insured health plans. And when an employer hears the words fully insured, what do you think they think? Sorry, did you say fully insured F-U-L-L-Y or F-O-O-L-Y? I said F-U-L-L-Y, but A, I'm impressed you can spell, and B, let's tackle it from both directions. I had it written out for me. I needed a little help. To answer your question, the immediate jumps to simplified, overpriced, and an incredible example of what marketing and inertia means within a market. So that's what I think what you think fully insured means. What do you think the employer thinks it means? When they hear fully insured, are they thinking risky or not risky? They're thinking not risky. I wash my hands. I can walk away from it and ignore it for 12 months. Right. And possibly the greatest marketing event ever happening in health insurance is coming up with the phrase fully insured. Um, Because if I'm a buyer, well, do I want to be only slightly insured or do I want to be fully insured? Well, I'd like to be fully insured because that sounds pretty cool. Uh, absolutely. So let's just talk about math for a second with fully insured. And as you know, we, we use the phrase all the time, deferred, not insured. So let's explain how fully insured works to our listeners. So employer A has claims throughout the year. Let's say they have, I don't know, $500,000 in claims. When they get to their renewal, how does the renewal work? They take 500000 They then predict what that those claims are going to be in the upcoming year. Um, so they add medical inflation, they add RX inflation, they add administrative costs, expenses, profits, consultant fees to it, and they basically then repackage and sell it back to the employer for the upcoming year. I'm going to see if I can say it in a slightly different way. $500,000 of claims, and you said they predict the upcoming year, but they don't really predict it, right? What they do is they take the $500,000 and they apply industry-wide medical trend. And, and to make our math easy, we'll say that's 10%, which is probably a little bit high. But that means that if I had $500,000 of claims this year, the number that goes into my renewal math is $550,000. And then as you said, they add the administrative expenses to that. And let's pretend those are 150 grand. That takes us to 700,000. So your renewal increase is the difference between 700 grand, which is the formula we just walked you through, and what you're paying today. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. And so what that means is that next year's premium is always determined by this year's claims. Um, And so the way that I think about it is that what the employer is doing is putting down a deposit that then gets adjusted to actual in the upcoming renewal. Is that a fair way to think about it? Sure. It's a a short-term loan against their claims with incredibly high interest rates and penalties. And so if I have a really bad year this year, instead of 500,000, which might've led to a, you know, a 10 or 15% increase. If I'd had a million dollars, particularly in small little claims, is there any limit to what my renewal increase could be? They'll buffer it out by waiting against the pool. That's the only way that they, the only reason and way that they limit it because it's really bad 
press, but we see employers that get 40, 50, 75%, even north of 100% renewals. So I pay the quote unquote fully insured premium, but the reality is they get to adjust it to actual based on what my claims were during that period, um, which all of a sudden doesn't sound very full or fully insured to me. No, basically what you did is you paid a static premium on a monthly basis until you got to renewal and had to re-up for the claims that already were incurred. What happens if I have lower than expected claims? Do they give me a 20% decrease in my premium? No, they typically try to invite you to an entertainment event to keep you as a client. Um, But they will use your profits to offset some of the losses of others. So if I have a good year, I still get an increase, albeit a small one. And if I have a terrible year, I get a huge increase, which in theory is uncapped, but but maybe for uh, publicity reasons, they cap it a little bit. But I've got a lot of exposure to this year's claims, even though I bought a quote unquote fully insured policy. That's correct. So at renewal, it's really a question of what degree of bad news are you going to receive? And to your point, the the bad news, which we've been convinced is good news, is I'll get a couple of point increase if I'm a, pheno- a phenomenal performer. And if I am a really bad or unlucky performer, then I'm going to get a really big increase. But the perception in the market is is totally flipped from reality, where employers and even brokers slash knuckleheads think that the 5% renewal is phenomenal news. Um, and counter, they think that the increase is terrible news, as opposed to 30% is actually fully justified as part of the fully insured renewal process. So if we think about fully insured health plans, the employer doesn't have full insurance in the sense that if they have bad claims during that year, they're still going to get a bill for it, albeit in the form of a renewal. And that's obviously why we refer to it as deferred, not insured in that there's no running from your smaller predictable claims as an employer, you're going to end up paying them whether you are in this fully insured model or some other type of risk financing model. I think that's incredibly well said. The other part that employers need to remember, that shocked me too. Um, The other part that employers need to remember is that there's also no running from your population. There isn't a company out there that hires people for 364 days fires them, and then hires an entirely new population as they approach their health insurance renewal. So your people are going to be your people. It's a question of how do you best manage them over time. And I think that's a great way to end this segment is is really just to highlight that in that you're not going to run from your claims and your people are going to be your people for as long as they are. And you're, you as the employer are implicitly or explicitly paying for their health care or a portion of their health care and their family's health care as long as they remain your employees. And so the key is thinking about this long term. Clayton, we are thrilled to have with us today our friend, partner, Austin Madison from Hub International. Austin, as you know, is the practice leader for Hub Mid-South as well as the sales leader for Hub Southern Region. Thrilled to have him based in Nashville, Tennessee. He speaks slowly but thinks quickly. I just love to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Austin. So I'd love to start it off just asking how you got into the insurance space. And I know it was a difficult decision. You're sitting there thinking, okay, pro baseball career or insurance, and you chose insurance. So we'd just love to sort of know why and how that, how that came to be. 
Well, like everybody else, I mean, I grew up wanting to be an insurance salesman. I mean, that was what <laughs> it was just ingrained in my mind from the beginning. I wanted to uh, save lives. All the cool kids were doing, right? Yeah, save lives and really be able to, to talk about um, renewals and things like that. So, um, no, it what got me into it was mentioned baseball. I always wanted to play pro baseball and like every other kid who played baseball thought that they could. And when I realized that I could not, and I realized I could, I was not going to be a doctor. Dad tried to convince me to go to law school and I told him I was done studying. I did what a lot of other C plus students who had too much fun in college did. And that was realize I need to get into some kind of sales. So I hopped around in different industries. Actually, somebody talked to me about insurance right out of college and I thought, man, there's no way I'm ever selling insurance. And I had a buddy who was working for um, Unum on the disability side. I was in the pharmaceutical industry at the time. And when I started talking about what he was doing, I thought, man, that sounds like it would actually be fun. And interviewed with Unum and got the job. And from there was calling on our agency at the time. And we had no business with them and got a call from their CEO who was on the PNC side and thought he wanted to talk to me about together some kind of program for them so i jumped at the opportunity and he ended up telling me he's like we want you to come work for us and you know, i went through about a three-month process with them and just honestly really liked their guys that worked at that agency it was a great group and is a great group and i just it felt to me like the closest thing to what it felt like being on a team or in a fraternity or something like that and i went into it and the funny story about that is i'm going on a my first client prospect meeting with one of our principals and he goes, Austin. So we were driving over. He said, let me set this up for you. This group really wants to talk about HSAs they're, they're I don't know anything about them. I'm a PNC guy. So I want to bring you in. And I look at Bob Jackson, uh, one of our founders. And I said, Bob, I don't know anything about HSAs. He goes, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, I, I don't know anything about health insurance at all. I said, I sold disability. And he looks at me and goes, well, you did a good job selling us. He said, let's hope you do a good job selling these guys. And that was it. I think it's fascinating how people get into this industry. And for so long, every story was sort of, I got into it by accident, right? It wasn't intentional, Yeah. but that's changed now. So you have to be careful because we have you know people in our company that that went to college and studied risk management and, and knew at an earlier age that they wanted to do this. I think the most impressive part of your story about how you got here was the C plus student. Are you trying to show off or something? Flex on us a little bit? I know, it, you know, that worked really hard for that C plus average or GPA. We laugh all the time. Our ideal salesperson is a C plus student who was in a fraternity and or played on a sports team, something like that, or sorority, and we're having too much fun to, to make a 4.0 or you know 3.5, something like that. I agree. That's setting the bar high of that C plus average clean. So if it beat both of us. Yeah. So <laughs> as you go into the industry, uh, was there a... I don't want to say aha moment, but was there a, a, wait a minute, this is broken. This is totally wrong. Like one of those seminal, this is something that we should be jumping all over. I can't believe it's this way. I think the not having health insurance experience was a big deal because I, I guess I always and still do have this ingrained fear of failure. And so I had guys that hired me and I wanted to basically validate that they'd made a good investment. So I spent a ton of time just trying to learn as much as I was trying to sell or trying to get appointments. And through that process, I just thought, man, if I were an employer, 
what would I be trying to figure out? And so what, what could, or how could I separate myself? And even early on, I was like, I, I need to understand self-insurance because the fully insured side, deductible, out-of-pocket, co-pays, networks, it's not rocket science, right? I mean, you shop it, you know, find, find options. So two things I really kind of tried to hone in on was understanding HSAs after Bob found out I knew nothing about them and then trying to understand self-funding. And I was scared to death about self-funding. And I spent some time with a couple of brokers who explained it to me, still scared me to death, but I knew enough to know that I should be asking the questions. And so once I started understanding those things, you know, consumer-driven healthcare, self-funding, it blew my mind that how many brokers out there did not have those conversations with their clients because they were scared to be found out that they knew nothing about it. And I remember I'm sitting in a meeting with a prospect and did a simple analysis. They were getting a big renewal and I looked at just an HSA option. I mean, this is, this is blocking and tackling. They had never seen an HSA option from their broker. And I did the analysis. It was going to save them 25%. The client looked at me and goes, why have I never seen this from my current broker? And I remember I, I, I didn't bash the broker. I just said, well, I can't speak for your current broker, but I found this, this makes sense. And I think this is a, is a good fit. But I realized that it wasn't that brokers weren't smart. It was just that they were scared to look stupid. And when I realized that, it really drove my confidence. I knew I didn't know enough about self-funding, but I knew enough to say, this is something we should consider. And that was kind of that moment of, hey, I think we can really differentiate ourselves here. And I think we can really grow this. And I think, too, realizing through that, Clayton, that the clients start putting two and two together. They they looked at me and said, well, you're paid on commission, right? And I said, well, yeah, it's a percentage of premium. And they said, so why would you give us this option if you're going to make less money? And I said, well, I, I look at it pretty simply. If I, if I look at it for your best interest, maybe I make less money than what current brokers making right now. But if I do a good job, you're going to recommend me to your peers and your friends and I'd rather, I'd rather build that compensation on volume than on just sticking the screws to you. And so that was another aha moment too of just, if we look out for the best interests of our clients, we're going to be taken care of too. And I, th- I think that was a, that helped me relate to employers and, and them feel like, Hey, this person's a partner and they're not just trying to sell me something. And, and I think you collectively answered why their current broker didn't show them the uh, 25% savings option. That's right. So Austin, as I think you know, I came from the property and casualty side. You know, wasn't a benefits person by background until we started really getting into the benefit captive space. And then the in the PNC side, there's lots of things that you can do to control cost, right? You can have no, no slip shoes, better driver training, better driver safety, harnesses, you know, to protect against falls on construction sites. So it's it's something that you look at and think, okay, I can control this. Um, and so saving money, reducing costs makes sense. When I got to the benefits world, I was perplexed because I thought, okay, how can you save money? There's nothing one can do. And obviously, 10, 12, 15 years later, however long I've been doing this, I now have a 180 degree different view of that. But when you, when you retire you know, on the on the Austin Madison top 10 best moves that you did for a client to save money, give us one or two, no names necessary, but just things that you did to help them save money separate from sort of the funding mechanism. I give you guys a lot of credit for this. I know it's not why you're asking this, but I think starting to, 
think I, I grasped this, but I think when I really understood it was at one of your all's conferences, a member meeting and listening to clients get that there's a difference between cost and rate. And I think on the broker side, on the employer side, most of the time when we think through cost, we associate that with rate. And so when you're able to change that mindset, to what do we do to manage risk and cost first? What do we do to drive down rate? You start thinking outside of the box. And part of that is where you were talking on the PNC side, managing falls, dealing with harnesses, dealing with all these safety mechanisms. I always thought there's got to be a way we do that around health insurance and wellness and things like that touch on that, but you never saw the benefit of that when you were fully insured. And when you start pulling back the curtains, and I know you said you don't have to mention funding, but self-funding is a big part of that because really you're never going to get the full benefit of any type of risk management or cost management program that you put in place until you're able to unbundle what is tightly bundled in. And even when you're self-insured, you can be bundled in, still not get the full benefit. But understanding that when we pull back the curtains, you see more transparency. We start looking at how do we impact claims. If we impact claims, that impacts spend, that impacts cost. And kind of the top, one of the top 10 things on there is once that's done, I really think the low-hanging fruit right now and has been for a while is around pharmacy spend. So what can we do on prescriptions and you know, when I first got in this industry, everything was about repricing. Hey, let's reprice the network. Let's look at who's got the best network discount. And now it's kind of like watching March Madness. There's so much parity. Anybody can win at any time in basketball and in college sports. So we, we've collectively spent a ton of time on Rx and pharmacy analysis and, and resources and playing a game of whack-a-mole. If you walk into 10 prospects, What's your level of confidence that you can help X number of them on their pharmacy? Super high. I mean, I would I would tell you when we first started looking at this, you get lost in the PBM contract world. So you start, you know, digging into a contract and you think, hey, if I make this change or we negotiate this, then it's really going to make an impact. And you quickly find out, like to your whack-a-mole analogy there, that you're not really making a difference. And so I think it. Like most things in life, I think the more you can simplify it, the better it is. And it comes down to, you know, we've talked about this a lot with you guys. Frankly, that's where I learned a lot, where you guys have invested on that on the consultant side is, is it a transparent pass-through contract? Is it a spread contract or traditional contract, number one? Number two, where do the rebates go? And number three, what are we doing about specialty? I think those things, if we can answer those questions and address those things, we're going to make a big impact. And there's a lot of really great PBMs out there. And I, I would tell you that I think there's some ones that are at the top. But I think if you can address those questions and look at that in the contract, you can kind of plug and play a lot of different PBMs. It comes down to the service model of the PBM, but I think you can really impact spend. And I think having those kinds of conversations with a prospect or client, they've never had that. Kind of similar to what's happened on the broker side around insurance is we have felt historically as brokers that we build our value in spreadsheeting and shopping and bringing this beautiful spreadsheet in to show all the work we've done. And we do that on the PBM side too. And I don't think it's necessary. Like, Hey, pick the PBM that you know is going to service well. It's got a good model that has the right contract. 
lead with it. And when we do that and we explain kind of how the nuts and bolts work, clients have not heard that. All they see is they hear contract language, they go to sleep, and all they look at is the lowest rate. And again, as we know, that's not always the best cost. So when we're able to just break it down and do like a PBM 101, understanding those three kind of kinds of things, success rate is super high. And we hear from the client, we, we just have never heard this before. It's a recurring theme that transparency and education are really the keys, right? That people don't understand the industry. And some of that's just because they don't spend time in it, right? Which is understandable, but some of it's by design. And so just curious, what are sort of the, I don't know if you want to call them lies, but but stories or storylines that are out there in the industry that aren't true, maybe by design that we have to then combat? I think one of those is rebates. We're trying to win an account. We won the account. They were with one of the big Buka carriers. This is not a Buka bash fest by any means, but when we're looking through that, the the carrier was going to charge. They were okay with this going self-insured. They were going to charge a big fee for us to carve out the PBM and for the stop loss. They said, hey, we we just want the sh- a shot to show our value on the PBM. So I said, absolutely. You know, let's look at this. We go through that repricing on the PBM. And they kept hammering about their rebate, their rebates. They said, look, look how much better our rebates are. And I said, yeah, but if I'm looking at this, you've inflated the cost on generic medications and these medications that are not specialty medications so that the rebates are higher. So I said, if I understand this correctly, the member's going to pay more at the pharmacy so that you can give a bigger rebate to the employer, right? So the employer's going to pay the claim, employee's going to pay the claim, and they're going to get a bigger rebate. I said, that kind of feels like to me that I'm withholding taxes to the max so I can get a big tax rebate. And I said, if I look over here on this other contract, maybe the rebate's not as higher, but their actual drug spend is less. I said, so why would I do that? And so I think that's a big mystery and a misconstrued deal where employers think that it's all about the rebate. Broker thinks it's all about the rebate. And frankly, there's a part of me that just wishes the rebates would go away. It's just about unit cost, right? Like let's Let's look at what we spend the least amount of money on, and that's what's going to drive the biggest difference. So that's one cab. And I think the other side is at just you know shopping the plane constantly to just drive down the lowest rate for that year is what makes the difference. And it's not. What, we're, what we've changed that mindset to is we want sustainability. We want less volatility and more sustainability. And we know long term we're going to save more money doing that. When the employer gets it, when they pick their head up and look out past the next spreadsheet that they're going to get and look multi-year, all of a sudden the mystery starts to fall away and they start making good decisions. If there's one thing I can leave the industry with, it's the move away from the spreadsheet. I love how people get different stop loss quotes and the aggregate attachment dictates or determines what the expected claims are. So the stop loss carrier who has no influence over what your claims are actually going to be is the one who's setting your expected claims. <laughs> Explain that one to me, right? Riddle me that, Batman. Yeah. You're so right. I mean, I agree with that. And also part of that aha moment was understanding that it's all about the claims, right? I mean, if I look at healthcare spend, and, and that's what we try to do for our clients, and we try to ingrain with our producers and consultants is, hey, break down the total healthcare spend. 
how much of this total healthcare spend is fixed cost? That's going to be the same whether you have one claim or a thousand claims. And how much of this is variable cost? 65 to 70% of it's variable, meaning your claims. So we've got to move our attention to that, not to driving down fixed cost. And that's where brokers historically have looked to drive value is look how much I've driven down this spin, which is primarily fixed cost. So instead, we got to put you know, our solution hat on. That's the fun part about this. You know, the aha moment in this industry was, hey, this is about problem solving. and We get to be a consultant, which is way more fun than being a broker. As part of the podcast, we are doing a segment called, you know, they're a knucklehead when. And I know that you've heard me in Nashville, the members meetings talk about knuckleheads in the industry, and we obviously have them. And so without naming names, unless you really, really want to, give me an example of one of the, one or two of the dumbest things you've seen a competitor do that just makes you, just makes you shake your head and and instantly sort of label them in that knucklehead category. We could talk all day about this. I could share plenty of examples of me being a knucklehead too, but um, nobody's, nobody's immune from it. Don't forget to say bless their heart. Right. Yeah, that, that gives you carte blanche. Yeah, yeah. Bless their heart. They were a knucklehead. But so we we were competing on a trucking company, which you would not think historically is a great benefits fit or even a great self insured fit. And this group had been with United Healthcare, and this is not on United Healthcare. This is on the broker. They had been with United Healthcare for years. They've been getting double digit increases. This group was like, man, we're never going to go self insured. We got burned in a captive program on the PNC side, and not going to do it. And we just kept kind of like, let's just look, let's look at the analysis here. And we dig in and as I started getting information, I go, this can't be right. The broker on a fully insured account was making 10% commission. They'd been getting a 20% increase each year. And he told the group, like, we, we probably need to keep these plan designs the same. We don't want to cause disruption to the employees. And I'm looking at this and I said, yeah, probably, probably too smart. Right. Um, so I'm digging into it and I go, guys, you could be self-insured or even if you weren't self-insured, we move you to another carrier and you know, I'm just going to put this out there. Your broker has basically gotten a 20% increase on their compensation for the past five years and you could have heard a pin drop. We end up moving them. We put them in the captive. They were super nervous about it as they make the transition. The current broker, who was a really good friend with the CEO, calls the CEO up and goes, That's the, this is the dumbest move you've ever made. can't believe you're doing this. You're going to come crawling back to me asking for me to take you back. Which when he, they told me that, I'm like, I can never imagine saying that, right? This, this is a small world. You don't want to burn a bridge. And the CEO goes, okay, no problem. We'll see how it ends up. Year one, so they, they got a 20% increase. Year one, self-insured at the end of the year, they were 10% below the current spend was. So what is that? A yeah, aggregate 30% reduction compared to what their renewal was. The CEO calls up the broker, shares the news with him, and basically just goes, how about them apples? <laughs> and hangs up on him. <laughs> but the cool thing, that story for that client, this is a 200 life. So 200 life trucking company. The next year, second year, in the captive. And again, this is not trying to do a commercial for y'all. This is just facts. Second year, second year in the captive, they get a negative 10 on their total healthcare spend. And look, look, this is a group we've got Millman on. So all of this is Millman validated. And this group thinks we've hung the moon, right? And we're, 
we're C plus students here, but CEO called the broker again and let him know about the performance. So it's just stuff like that where you never say never and never think that you're smarter than what you really are. The thing that I think that I like the best about the story is that, and I'll try to do the math they're, they were paying a hundred bucks rate. The renewal was going to go to 120. Their first year was 90. A year later, I think it went to 80 or something like that, right? So yep. that 40 point delta uh, over what would have happened had they stayed fully insured. We think about it in terms of premium and rate and things like that. And what's yep. really cool is that the reality is that meant more trucks um, or the ability to invest in other parts of the company or bonuses or hiring more people or expansion. And that's ultimately what makes this business a ton of fun. Um, isn't getting the rate lower. It's getting, it's giving the, the employer the ability to buy more trucks or pay their people more, et cetera. Cab, you're exactly right. And I think as benefits folks, we, we don't often give our PNC counterparts enough credit. It was both of your backgrounds too. But remember one time I was dealing with a self-insured client, a large client, several acquisitions, they were freaking out because the projected healthcare spend was going up significantly. I'm talking to our CEO about that. He's a PNC guy. And he said, well, Austin, didn't they double in size? And I said, yeah. He said, so before you go into the meeting, ask the CFO what their revenue per employee was a year ago. Ask him what their compensation per employee was a year ago. And ask him what their EBITDA was a year ago. So I asked those questions. We look at that a year later and all of those things had doubled. And, it, and our CEO, Jimmy Ward goes, they shouldn't be upset about anything. Their revenues doubled, their EBITDA has increased, their compensations increased, and their healthcare spend instead of doubling like everything else did has gone up 1.25. He said, try having that conversation. I had the conversation with the client's CEO and CFO CEO is in the meeting, which is rare. And he looks at me and looks at the team that's in there, their team, and goes, what's the problem? He goes, this is, this is perfect. It's exactly what we need. And man, that changed that mindset, right? Because you're exactly right. It's focusing on that healthcare spend, but being able to correlate it to those other things. And for that trucking company, we just increased their margins significantly. So for all the brokers out there, you really want to blow your client's mind, you know, talk about EBITDA. And if they ask you what EBITDA is, you're in trouble, but it sounds good when you say it. So you can talk about that. So Austin, when you're at a cocktail party with your wife, someone says, what do you do? How do you answer that? Depends on the person, right? If it's somebody I'm trying to get away from, I tell them I'm in insurance and I sell life insurance. <laughs> and I ask them if they've thought about what would happen if they died. So that's one answer. The other answer is we are in the insurance industry and we work with mid to large size employers on, on consulting around how to manage risk and cost. We really appreciate you joining us today. It's been great having you on. It's been great getting to know you over the years and appreciate you taking the time sharing some of your thoughts with the three people that are out there listening. So You all were a big part of that aha moment for our agency to really understanding a complex interest industry, simplifying it and really being able to bring value to the clients. So, so thanks for all you guys do. Good things happen to good people and can't say enough good things about you. And we appreciate you being with us and, and more importantly, the, the personal and professional relationships. So congratulations on all your success and thank you. Thanks guys. Same to you.
And now for the last segment of our episode, the one that everybody's been waiting for, because this is the place where Clayton or I, but typically Clayton, put our foot in our mouth. So get ready for, you know they're a knucklehead when. Clayton, as you know, I love looking for things in the industry where people do or say things that let me then (laughs) cast the spotlight on them and say, wow, that person is a knucklehead based on what they just did or what they just said. Let's start with one of my all-time favorites. Uh, When somebody says fully insured is too risky, in my mind, they're a knucklehead. Let's unpack that a little bit. What are the reasons somebody might say that? I think Jimmy Buffett said, said it best when he asked, is it ignorance or apathy? I don't know and I don't care. Exactly. So yeah, there's probably two reasons that that an insurance broker would tell an employer that self-insurance is too risky. The first is they just don't understand it, right? They just don't have the knowledge base and they don't understand how fully insured works. They Maybe they should have listened to the first part of this episode where we teach them how fully insured works. They don't understand how self-insurance works and they think that, uh, that an employer can run from their claims or that maybe that they're going to get all new employees next year. And the second part is... Laziness. On the laziness side, uh, there's you know a jaded perspective that perhaps brokers are incented to think short term. That putting together one year spreadsheets is benefiting the deeper pockets and not necessarily the employers. That they're not taking the the holistic or long term approach, and sometimes they just simply don't have either the backbone, the gravitas, the confidence to go to an employer and say, we need to stop the cycle of thinking short-term, that we need to extend our conversation, we need to extend our relationship, and I need to give you better, more strategic, long-term advice. Well, let's conclude with that. The one thing that you said is that the employer deserves better advice. And so that's what we would say to you, to to the employers that are out there, if an insurance broker comes to you and hasn't done sort of a multi-year assessment, hasn't looked at your claims, um, and hasn't really dug in and done the hard work that requires some knowledge of the various risk financing vehicles that are out there, well, then they're a knucklehead if they're telling you that self-insurance is too risky as a blanket statement. Thanks for listening to today's episode of 8020 with Pareto Health. We love hearing from you. If you have a question or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at 8020 at ParetoHealth.com. That's 8020 at ParetoHealth.com. Dive deeper into 8020 by visiting us at ParetoHealth.com slash podcast. Lastly, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you don't miss an episode.